My name is David Yun, and you're listening to My Viewfinder, a podcast where we look to see the connections between photography, philosophy, and a way of life. I release an episode every Friday. Hit that subscribe button, don't forget to rate us, leave a comment, and thank you for listening. What is your favorite day of the week, and why? I think Sundays, just because they have that general relaxed, slow morning feeling. Yeah, Sundays I'm usually spending them with the family and I'm usually off, so it's my favorite day. I like that you said relaxing, slow mornings, but every time we tried to set this up, you're asking me to be up at 8 a.m. To... <laughs> <laughs> the worst. <laughs> but then I feel like I get the work out of the way and then I have the whole day ahead. So uh, That's fair. Yeah, it's <laughs> my perspective. <laughs> My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Look us up at albertapodcastnetwork.com for Alberta-based podcast content. This episode of My Viewfinder is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation. Whether it's funding anti-racism programs, addiction recovery, or food hampers for the hungry, for 65 years, the Calgary Foundation has proudly supported the charitable community to address some of Calgary's biggest challenges. Now, during this period of unprecedented urgent needs, Calgary Foundation renewed its commitment to building a healthy, vibrant, giving, caring, and resilient community. If you're a registered charity looking for a grant, a professional advisor creating a giving plan for your client, or a donor wanting to give back to your community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about their work through Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. In today's episode, I speak with Miko Bain portrait photographer, mother, and woman of color. We explore her roots as a biracial child growing up in rural BC and how that's informed her practice in searching for soul through her photography. Her portrait work focuses on representation and personal truth so that she can exemplify the spiritual power of accepting who you are and saying yes to life. Here's the first part of my conversation with Miko, and thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, and tell all your friends to tune in to my viewfinder. We did speak once and, and uh, didn't get the audio, so that I apologize. So we, we're going to pretend we're speaking for the first time, at least as far as uh, this is concerned. I'll probably leave this in. Um, why don't we just start at the present? You put a post just a couple of days ago of the recording. So what's today? November. We're recording this November 7th. So just recently put up a post and I think it uh, gives us a good structure. We, you talked about the scarcity mindset, imposter uh, syndrome and representation as your big subheading. So um, tying in with your thought of what the world needs to hear from you. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe we could start with one, um, you know, why don't we just start with scarcity mindset? What, like, what does it mean to you and how does it reflect? Like, where do you think it comes from for you? Question. Um, so the scarcity mindset, I would, when I made that post on Instagram, I was reflecting on how I'm, I don't share a lot of my work and often I'm just really scared about sharing it. Um, mostly because I don't flow from an abundance mindset as though there will always be more clients, there will always be more work, there will always be more um, opportunities. So the, it shows up in my work because I hoard my photos <laughs> and then think that I'll post them later when I'm slower or not as busy or I'll share them when I haven't, when I, I'm really proud of them, but 
um, I'm not, I guess, the growth part. Like, I understand I'm growing as an artist, but I keep all of these photos, think I'm going to share them later, and then never do. And then when I go back on them, I've grown so much from that space that I don't really want to share them because I'm not no longer that artist. It's been challenging for me. Um, I'm not sure where it comes from, to be honest. Maybe because I feel like I'm always hustling. Like, a, I grew up from an immigrant mom, so maybe, like, they're not enough or there's always just enough and not like there's an ab abundance of money clients opportunity etc resources so that has impacted my work and I was just reflecting on how that impacts how I show up in sharing my work I mean, we could talk about that uh, specifically where where do you come from my mom is Filipino and my father's Canadian. My mom immigrated from the Philippines and at that time my dad was working at St. Crude in Fort McMurray. So she immigrated from the Philippines to Fort McMurray, all places. Uh, and I was born up there and then I grew up in Cranbrook um, or Kimberley, BC. So I from five years old school age through and then I moved here for college in Calgary and never left. Yeah. So. I don't know enough about the specific Filipino culture. I just tease Filipino friends just because I'm like being an asshole. But uh, what do you think is the main cultural influence that feels different than what, you know, you might presume your father's generational family might view the way, I don't know, one ought to exist? You know, as a second, gener second or third generation Korean kid, I, I have some experience with how they think I should be living. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, what what do you think is the big uh, influence on that side? I guess I guess it's really just like the immigrant mindset that you're always working for something something next that you don't necessarily it's not given to you and it has to be earned. Which yeah also plays into the fact that we're not necessarily gifted opportunities; they have to be earned. So there's I don't know I I just feel like there's a a limit and not an infinite number of resources available to me for a number of reasons. But it's just a mindset shift that I'm working on to help me elevate my work and and sharing my work. I I'm just thinking, yeah I uh, I've been thinking a lot about the concept of uh, not just privilege. I mean that that has such a sour connotation too, but. Uh, but yeah, like privilege. And uh, and then from the parenting aspect, I think Helen just read something. I mean, I don't really prescribe to blanket statements about how one ought to parent, etc. But it said something about if you tell your kid that they're doing great, they tend to give up easier. But if you tend tell them that they are improving, then they try to continue to improve or something along those lines. It, yeah, without getting too much into my childhood psychology, my parents had a particular way of speaking to us. I had a particular way of hearing it. It sounds a bit different. I mean, that common thing about immigrants coming to any country, not just, let's say, uh, Asians coming to Canada. But I think if you're, uh, you know, uh, a Caucasian Canadian, you move to Japan or to the Philippines, you're going to have this mindset too. You got to, um, it feels like you got to work hard to just be seen. Um, so I think that at a core is an important thing. It sounds actually could be constructive too and not necessarily uh, a burden. But do you think there's a, a negative influence in your work in that or um, a positive one from, you know, how that culture has sort of been translated to you? Yeah, I guess I think that I work hard. I appreciate about my culture and not, not expecting things to be given to me. 
Um, but on the same side is that maybe to your point about how people speak or the expectation of arts being a career was never part of our conversation in my household. That's not um, <laughs> considered a career. So I never considered it for me as a career or as a small business opportunity or anything. Um, so that has negatively impacted me wanting to share my work or me wanting to explore it at all um, because I felt like it wasn't worth my time or it wasn't appreciated or it wasn't worthy of being seen because it wasn't considered work. So how do we get from where it was sort of with that conversation, not conversation, but uh, let's say uh, pressure in the family to get quote unquote a real job to where you are today. Never mind, you know, where we are a few days ago when you're uh, announcing your uh, realization of your position. So how did you even get into photography <laughs> if you had this feeling like it wasn't supposed to be a real job? I, um, if you ask my family, like they'll be the first to tell you that I was the family photographer, quote unquote, that was always, you know, with my phone, with a Canon T Rebel, T3 Rebel, <laughs> TFI, um, constantly taking pictures at every event or every special occasion or while traveling. I'm like the family documentary person, but never considered it a small business opportunity or a career. So I ended up studying like something bland, like business and finance. Um, I currently work in human resources, uh, not at all what I went to school for, but where I landed. And then kind of through having my daughter started taking more photos and started wanting to capture her growth. And with that came other opportunities that made me consider taking photos for brands or clothing brands for kids, for example. And then it kind of evolved into me taking photos of other families. And then it just slowly snowballed into where I am now. And it was slow, which I appreciate because I had it I needed to explore that myself first before everyone else could see what I was doing, what I was working on, or how I could capture stories or storytell through images. But that's kind of where I am now. I'm still what I would call early in my career, <laughs> very, very early. Um, I purchased my camera in June of 2019, so it's just been over a year. I was just having a conversation today with somebody about where I where I see myself, what area I want to focus on. I'm not sure that I have a niche yet. Um, so I think maybe I'm kind of leaning in the direction of commercial photography or lifestyle and brand type work, less interested in weddings or still life or traditional family images. Um, so I'm just trying to understand um, where I want my career to go, but that's kind of where I'm at today, <laughs> um, where I recognize that I have a unique perspective um, and the opportunity to capture some images that will reflect my experiences and how I see the world and then also be able to communicate that through imagery and um, hopefully um, and make the world a better place. Just quickly going back, you know, you were talking about your family um, would have considered you as the documentarian. Uh, what was it? Was there something specific about having some form of camera on you that you felt compelled to uh, record these things as you were growing up? Yeah, I think... My grandmother on my dad's side always took pictures. She just made sure that there was a group shot at every image, or every family event, which was appreciated. Because when I look back on that, we always had them. Or as us, you know, her grandkids almost had like a yearbook that we'd flip through all the time and reflect on. Um, on the opposite side of that, my mom took so many photos while she was here in Canada, but I have never seen any of her as a young person from the Philippines. So. I guess I don't have any, there's no media to reflect on her life or childhood from that time. And it's like a big gap, a gap in her relationship to that time, I think, as well as our understanding of her during that time. 
I guess I understood the importance of what it means to reflect on those seasons or those memories and, and times and our transitions in our life. Yes, it's a great connection there to, I mean, I don't want traditional in the sense of uh, narrative documentary mindset where you were trying to, I guess, record and archive things that had happened. When you look back at the pictures that you took, do you find, like, how, how do you find them? Outside of maybe with the critical eye of what you might have been able to do now, uh, what do you remember when you see these pictures? Do they evoke stories of what happened in those moments or are they kind of like i find it fascinating when i find pictures from the past i had a experience of getting rid of some pictures because they actually evoke negative memories <laughs> from some events um and helen my wife uh, questioned me why i was holding on to some of these pictures because i looked like i was going to punch myself in the face uh, at a certain event but uh you know with your experience when you go back with all the work are you do you feel like you've achieved the thing that you felt like was missing from your mom's history do you find like a a linear connection or some emotional uh, setup or has they all kind of gone into a dusty folder somewhere uh, yeah i think every time i move i find them <laughs> um and then i'm able to reflect back on them most of the photos i took as an adolescent or of my family or of my favorite things i i have pictures of like a tv and my favorite show on the tv or like <laughs> at that time um i have pictures of some of the we did a lot of traveling as a kid so um lots of places that we've been or just the outfits i was wearing it kind of takes you back to some sense of nostalgia um nothing overly negative but i feel i'm just happy those moments are documented and then on the flip side like now they have my daughter i'm happy those memories are documented but i think i need to do a better job of printing them because they're lost in those like digital dusty archives in the back of my computer at the moment so um and you do a better job of that yeah, i remember when i printed my first picture that's what uh, costas at resolve photo said that you're not actually our quote-unquote real photographer until you've printed your first image and uh yeah there's something about a tactile physical object that seems to lend more reality um i also recently had a hard drive fail on me so uh yeah wish i had something i don't even remember what was on it <laughs> it's just it's just in the ether now it is interesting that you kind of brought up, you bought your, again, air quotes, first real camera, do you want to say, a year ago? I mean, um, you know, what do you think that means for you? Uh, like, what is what is the distinction there compared to, um, what was it, the T3i or something? Yeah, uh, I, um, a lot actually, because during that time I had went through a divorce. So I went through a divorce as a full-time single mom and I was like, I'm going to follow my dreams. and. Um, so it was a big decision for me financially. Um, it was a big decision for me saying yes to a passion that had nagged on me for so long to give that energy back to the universe <laughs> and be like, okay, I see you, I'm here, I'm showing up for myself and therefore I hope reciprocated in the energy out in the world. So I think it was me saying yes to myself. And I think at some point, like if you have that, call it what sets your heart on fire, like if you are continually ignoring that, you're doing a lot more disservice to yourself in the world to ignore it than you are to saying yes. And that was like a pivotal moment of me saying yes. And then starting that journey um, a year ago, opened the door to so many opportunities, conversations, relationships, um, lessons, learning, etc. So I'm so grateful I did. Yeah, is that answer your question? <laughs> I think it's fascinating, this idea of having to experience, I mean, not just pain, but like uh, some some event in your life 
to jar you out of either complacency, denial, or distraction. And uh, whatever happened, um, it is great, but also fascinating this idea of coming out of like a lot of trauma to the idea of saying yes to yourself. Um, I mean, it's why I'm here. I had a midlife, I'm still probably in the midst of a midlife crisis, but um, you know, I struggle with that a lot. I, uh, even now, I, I don't know if I say yes to myself. <laughs> yeah. Did you find that that was like flicking a switch or is that sort of a process of, of grinding out and, and learning your, let's call it self-worth or self-image or discovery? I, I don't know what the catch catchphrase might be lately but i think in a lot of ways it was flipping the switch and then i'm still on that journey of self-worth and, and self-discovery flicking the switch made me well it gave me the tools that i needed it was essentially a roadblock for me to communicate almost and by purchasing the camera i had this tool that allowed me to communicate with the myself and with the uh, energy and, and people i was interacting with better and the people that see my work better so I felt like it was like a blockage or a channel that I was not exploring and therefore like it was hindering so much of what I had inside. So to say yes kind of was like a rebirth or a, re a growth in me um, to use my voice, but in, in a different way. I'm still on that journey of self-worth. I guess that's where the um, scarcity mindset and the imposter syndrome piece comes in. Like I, I still feel like I'm not worthy of taking the photos or being paid for the photos or sharing the work, like that it's not valuable and, and unique and deserves space in the world. So I'm working on that part. Um, I think I'm slowly getting to the place where I'm understood, like even just calling myself a photographer has taken a long time to say I'm a photographer, like just, saying that was really hard and I'd stumble through it for many reasons um but I'm I'm on that journey and I'm in the last two months I feel like I've taken a experienced some significant growth there with the exposure studio and that community that I've been part of and then with um some clients that I've been working with and just having them give me that trust um has been important and I appreciate it the uh, idea of I don't know acting Acting in good faith, acting, just acting positively. It's one of those classic, sounds so simple, but it's not, e it's not easy at all. Uh, it takes a lot of energy just to take uh, a step forward. I mean, I, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, your past year and how many times you have to, one has to keep doing the next thing, finding the next client, applying for studio, exposure studio. I mean, I, I think I saw, personally, I saw that email once I deleted it and then I think Donna sent like a last minute like that it was like three days before the deadline and I was like ah you know and uh, it's been a great inspirational thing for me because I you know I was flatlining a little bit leading up to that and then getting to meet you and all the great folks there is inspiring because everybody's uh, so engaged but also you all do different things so I get to see that uh, there's so much dimensionality in photography and art and expression um so i have to take a page out of your book and just say yes to something next <laughs> okay i guess it's hard but i think if you if you just keep saying yes and keep pushing it gets easier i'm hoping as you continue to do it and be consistent um it gets easier you know going to when we kind of glanced off imposter syndrome but also representation uh just as the key phrases from our outline here i mean is that yeah, what do those things mean to you? I mean, representations, I think, an important thing being, uh, I guess, biracial, a female, um, an artist, you know, uh, there's so many different words that will associate with um, stereotypes. But, you know, for you today, currently, um, 
how do those things play together and you know, what, what, what do those words mean, uh, representation and, uh, and being an imposter? <laughs> <laughs> um, the imposter piece, I think, is a number of things. I, I've been told that it'll never go away. But <laughs> I'm hoping I can harness it and maybe reframe it a little bit. Um, the challenge I think I face is that I am self-taught. So I have always felt that photographers always have some certificate in photography or art or something that I don't have and I don't plan on completing. So I have this kind of inadequacy that haunts me about being and calling myself a photographer for something that I haven't formally educated myself on that all these others have, which I respect completely. And then the imposter syndrome also just it comes down to that self-worth journey I'm on that I'm I'm worthy of taking up space and showing up. And I think that kind of ties into the representation thing. It's like my experience was a childhood. I grew up in Cranbrook, BC. There's one high school. There were a handful of people of color in that high school, like very stereotypical experience in terms of the people that were people of color. So for example, um, we live close to reserve. So everyone just assumed that I was native or indigenous because of the reserve like that was their only relationship to people of color was the reserve and then i also remember like not having not seeing anybody in books or media that looked like me like i remember as a kid i was so drawn to destiny's child and beyonce and ashanti and um alicia keys because they were the closest thing that that i could see um that kind of was outside of the proverbial box of what everyone else looked like, Beyonce and Christina or Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. So that's like the era I grew up in. And just, just yeah, I didn't see anybody look like me. My family, we sponsored my grandmother and five of my mom's sisters. So there was always this duality in my life where I was Filipino at home. I didn't speak Tagalog because they were so focused on learning English, but I was Filipino at home, ate with my hands. Like the whole thing where I, when I went to school, it was like rural BC. Uh, um, I always call, tell everyone I'm like half redneck because that's like really what, what it was like. Um, and so just trying to like live in those two worlds all the time and, and with the lack of representation that I experienced, like I didn't feel like I had, again, had the, the opportunity or was worthy of taking up space. And that's still part of who I am today that I'm trying to grapple with. But I don't know, in one of our exposure studio discussions, somebody suggested like, how are you gonna make the world a better place through photography? And like, that is how I hope to make the world a better place is like one, being somebody on the other side of the camera who's like open to sharing my experience, what it's like, and then also pushing the narrative for us, like collectively um, that we can take up space and be seen and feel alive in front of the lens and in advertising and, and whatever that looks like. Right. I mean, what is, I mean, you've kind of already touched on it. It's interesting. I, I don't know if I would have put Ashante on the list, but I think, uh, I'm just being a hater. I, I think it's interesting. The visual representation and the power of photography, and in this case, video, um, has had on all of our self. I mean, I think female self-imagery gets a lot of uh, airtime because, you know, for whatever reason, actually, I couldn't even uh, deign to understand what the social pressures are to focus on female disorders, etc. Because men definitely have that too. Uh, uh, but, you know, this as a minority, yeah, I mean, if I'm watching my favorite movie, just watch from my other movie podcast, uh, Fight Club. So I, I see Brad Pitt, that's like, you know, young, cut Brad Pitt, hip bones out, generally not wearing any clothes. That's a very strange thing to idolize. Um, women too, I, I, you know, as a heterosexual male, like what is defined as um, 
beautiful, uh, important, etc. Uh, those are very murky things, but I personally, well, I'm, I'm a very negative person, so I, I worry about the negative impact photography has because it is, I think, mistaken as a literal format or um, an exact representation, which I don't think that it is. I mean, do you find in your work, particularly with portraiture and some of the narratives that you're doing, whether it's family or I, you've recently put up uh, something that's a little bit more... I don't know if editorial or, or fashion or social, um, how much of that messaging is in the hands of the photographer? How much of it needs to be interpreted by the broad audience? I mean, where are you in, in that space? Because you do work with representing people. Um, how do you feel around that energy <laughs> and society? Yeah. I think that I have um, a responsibility and also honor to capture people. I always explain, like, I think it's really important for me to try to capture their natural essence. And in order for that to happen, or for them to show up in that environment, it needs to be safe and brave. Like we both need to be vulnerable. And I share that I'm nervous or I feel vulnerable taking their images. And I just want them to know that I feel the accountability to make sure that this image is representative of them. So allowing them to show up. And if that means like we need to take breaks or we need to, um, talk about how we're feeling like that happens too but I, I think you're right like I, it's, it does scare me I have a daughter I am a woman I feel those societal pressures one of the things that I try to do is when I create that safe space work with people of color because that's important to me um, I also try to express that my views on editing is I want it to be as classic and timeless as possible so I try not to over edit anything I might clear up a blemish or a pimple my, my basic theory is if it wouldn't be there in a week from now okay I can understand that like I've had you know Mount Everest erupt on my face and that's embarrassing and hard and <laughs> I recognize that's not a staple of my of me um, but there are certain things like scars or stretch marks or um, just our bodies like my our bodies change over time and like my body didn't look like it did 10 years ago but I'm not going to tuck in my chin and, and you know shrink my waist like those things are, are non-negotiables for me I won't do that if someone wants to do that with my image after the fact I don't have control over that but um, at least I can have some type of integrity in my work that I'd like to keep um, because that those are important values to me. Today I want to tell you about ATV's new podcast The Future Of. Join Todd Hirsch, ATP's Vice President and Chief Economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. Explore how our economy and communities not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. From the future of women in business to the changing nature of work itself, the future of helps understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get to the tomorrow we want. Featuring two episodes each month, plus bonus episodes, The Future Of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to The Future Of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atb.com. Do you have a favorite brand and why? Yeah, uh, my favorite brand is Nike. Um, I think they just, I like street photography, street fashion, I'm an athlete. So Nike has kind of been pivotal throughout my journey. And 
I do have a love-hate relationship with them because there's some things that I don't agree with <laughs> um, that they've done and been in the news for, like sweatshops and all-white executive board members and things like that. But they are also playing critical roles in like narratives in the media as well and just like pushing boundaries with Kaepernick and things. So I recognize what they try to do. They're my favorite brand. What do you think about the quality of their shoes? Yeah, I wear a lot of their stuff. Um, I love Air Force Ones. It's probably my go-to right now. I, I mean, you get what you pay for, right? Like there's a version of Nike that's not as high quality as other pieces. So 